0: So thank you so much for joining us on Let the Hill Me Again podcast. I'm your host, Asia, and today we have Bill Senior joining us. How are you doing, Bill?
1: I am great. Thank you. It's so good to be with you.
0: Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so where are you from, Bill?
1: Uh, originally from Louisiana. I live in Denver now, Denver, Colorado.
0: Okay. So how long have you been there? 12 years. Okay. You like it?
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, what's not to like? I mean, I have a I have a view of the mountains, and I've got elk and deer, and yeah, this is a beautiful place.
0: That's amazing. you have family out there? Um, no.
1: No, my family's scattered around. Uh, my kids are, uh, one's near Chicago, one's in New York, one's in San Diego. Uh, so everybody's scattered. That's the way okay. things are now.
0: Okay. Do you ever get homesick? You know, you know
1: I, I, this is sort of home now. Uh, you know, I do go back to Louisiana and get some good food, though. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But I can make a mean gumbo anyway. So
0: really? I kinda, <laughs>
1: you kind of make home where you are, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a killer gumbo
0: oh my goodness next time you make some i want you to send me some
1: come on down
0: you know what i had gumbo i went to louisiana a few years ago and had gumbo for my first time while i was there and it was so good
1: yeah oh it's so good oh oh you haven't had mine yet oh my goodness (laughs) never eat anything else
0: yeah so let's go back to your childhood how was it um like growing up for you
1: Yeah, so good. I mean, uh, look, what did I know when I was then looking back, I can see that we were a very isolated family. Uh, We were isolated in so many ways. The neighborhood we lived in was isolated. We were surrounded by bayous and woods and uh, only had a couple of people my age went to schools, private schools. So we had to drive for an hour to get to them. I mean, it was it was tough Uh, religiously. We were uh, pretty legalistic, we're very works-oriented, and I didn't know any better, right? Um, so, yeah, I didn't really become a Christian, really get it till I was 21, uh, after, after college.
0: Okay. Um, so, like, with you guys living in a secluded area and stuff like that, um, yeah. would you ever, like, would there ever be times, like, while you were growing up, where you would wish that you were more in the city? You know, not in the
1: city as much, but just have more people my age around. You know, yeah. I was pretty insecure, pretty shameful, uh, overweight, you know, and were you know, concerned about that. Um, looking back, right? I didn't know any better when I was going through it. But looking back, yeah, I was not a... Uh, yeah, I don't think I was a very happy, oh, I, people say I was laughing, I, I would, by the way, one of the things I almost did was to do stand-up comedy, so I, I, I love that, I love laughing, and I love uh, people laughing around me, but I was pretty insecure.
0: Really? Um, do you have brothers and sisters?
1: Got two brothers, yeah, they both live in the Fort Worth area now.
0: Okay. Now, would like, growing up, would you ever express like your insecurities?
1: No, I didn't have that kind of language. And my parents really didn't talk about that. That's not how they were raised. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. you just you just go and you get good grades. You you get a job and a career and, and they weren't sharing. And it's just the way yeah, people were raised, at least down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, things have changed now. I mean, I had to have those conversations with my kids. I had to learn, you know, how to how to share emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't easy for me.
0: Yeah. So, like, when you started, well, I guess, well, what prompted you to, like, start sharing that, you know, like, finding that side of you?
1: Yeah, so, uh, when it gets kind of in the religious conversation, so, when I was, uh, 35. <laughs> I went to seminary, and I, you know, I went to seminary because I love theology, right and wrong, and, and you know, I wanted to do the right thing. But I went to Regent College in Vancouver, and there was a guy there, Professor James Houston, my first visit with him was wild. I mean, I, I, I walked up into his office and, and, you know, I didn't want to be there really. And he, he kind of a gnome looking guy, Scottish guy with a British smoking jacket and the pipe. And he had this overstuffed chair. And I thought, what, 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 is, what is this guy doing? So I sat down and had a bad attitude. He was the spiritual theology professor, which I went, what is that? You know, (laughs) and so I sat down and we talked for like 30 seconds and he looks over at me and pulls his pipe out and he says, do you mind if I tell you about your mother? I went, what? What? He says, I think I can tell you about your mother. All right. And he did. My mother is very quirky. Uh, I mean, she is. She's just wonderful, but she's a very quirky lady. And he nailed her. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh. And then he, uh, I'm just stunned and he looks over again, blows out some some pipe smoke and says, I think I can tell you about your father too. He nailed my father. My father was more quirky than my mother. I mean, really down to some really detailed level. And I'm just, my head's just tripping. And then he says, I think I can tell you about the desire of your heart. Look, I'm from the South. I mean, I was an engineer. I, 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 desire of my heart. I had, I didn't have that language. Well, whatever he said, and I don't remember it because I blacked out. I started bawling. I started bawling. I, I had never, one, I mean, maybe I'm weird, but I had never allowed myself or was comfortable having a desire of my heart. And I said, "Is that what you guys do here at Regent College?" And he says, "Yeah, we try." And so I went up there, and he counseled me. And there was one point where. I was sitting in his office, just blah, 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 blah. And the Holy Spirit its going to sound really weird perhaps, but he made me feel that God actually likes me. I knew he loved me, but likes me was somehow more important to me than I was actually likable to God and that God actually wanted me around and and was caring about me and wanted to talk with me. And it wasn't legalistic. Mm -hmm. I just blew it. I cracked. I went into depression for three days. Wow. Because I thought, I must be broken. Everybody else has got this, but you know what? It turns out they don't. <laughs> we uh, we can be a very religious people. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say the right things, but if we're not in touch with uh, this relationship with God. So anyway, my passion since then has been to proclaim the love of God for unlovables, unlovables, unloved and unlovely and uh, it turns out i think that's all of us
0: absolutely now let me ask you this um so let's say we have a listener that um may be in the same space that you were or feel like they're unlovable what would you say to that listener well
1: first of all they're not alone i mean all of us to one degree or another if we're honest um i have tapped into the the verses that really kind of rattled me was ephesians 3 14 to 21. so paul is praying for the ephesians this is the foundation of the whole book of of Ephesians, but he's praying for the Ephesians, and these guys are going to blow it. We know that from Revelation. They're they're the, the you know they're in the Roman Empire. They're being persecuted, and Paul's praying one thing for them. He says, so what do you think? Money, uh, wisdom, good theology, church buildings. What do you think he's praying? He says this: I'm praying to the Father. And and I'm praying that that you would access Ephesians, power from God in heaven through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, and then three things as a result. The middle one was so that you could just begin to grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. Well, very sophisticated. I'm into neuroscience as well. and one of our problems and it happens in infancy we develop these inner working models in our brain our brain fights against us loving and being loved because it's hurt us too much so it's develops it develops these fortifications that we can't let ourselves be loved and it's not conscious it's subconscious so paul man he just gets it that i actually in order to experience the love of jesus that i already have he's purchased it for me it's mine but to experience that I actually have to ask God for power in order to begin to grasp how much he loves me. So Mm. that person, I wonder, and I've I've taught this in three continents, I wonder if they have ever been told, ask God for power, his power, through your spirit and your inner being so that you can begin to feel the love of God for you. And by the way, for, for others. And most people have not been told that. It's so simple. Maybe it's too simple. Is, is is there? Is that partly it, you think, that it's just too easy?
0: You know what? I think that could be part of it. Um, I think that a lot of people are used to religion, right? Yeah. And, and religion, religion is so restrictive. And, you know, Cold. like religion paints this picture of God as this judge mm-hmm. with this you know like he's really this big mad mean god you know i mean right. he is just and he is you know all right. that but
1: and by like, the way male which scares off a lot of a lot of females right
0: yeah yeah and then no. also too like sometimes i don't mean to interrupt you but sometimes no. like in our lives here on earth we're traumatized and we're hurt by like men or by That's you know it. people that we love and so we try That's to it. compare god to you know our experiences right. on earth and he's nothing like that That's you right you
1: know yeah and his love and and that's you know i I do a podcast called gospel rant and i do some stuff for uh, right now media and live stream tv and and my theme is god's love for the unlovable and i'm looking at god's love for the unlovable woman at the well totally unlovable lady and, and she was certainly not feeling loved and here comes jesus and he just naturally puts her at ease he honors her and he says she says he's He's shown me everything about me, which is not true. But I think if you unpack that, is he sees my dirty little secret, and it didn't bother him.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you know Oof. what, back then, back then, you know, it was absurd to talk to you know a prostitute oh. or someone, you know. That's, oh yeah. You know, and, and so for Jesus him didn't to approach seem her, to mind. yeah, yep. and for him to approach her that way, you know, it, I'm sure it blew her mind.
1: I I'm I, reading the story, my mind's blown that Jesus <laughs> would do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's better than we think. And and so for that person that we're talking to, um, if they're a Christian, God already loves them. They're they're immersed in the tsunami of the love of God for them as they are. They don't they can't earn anymore, they can't lose it. God can't love them. He loves them as much as the father loves the son, and the son loves the father. But they're gonna need power to break up those strongholds. And that's what God does. John Calvin, a theologian, says that that's the secret workings of the holy spirit i like that it's kind of a spy novel the secret working of the holy spirit is to make christians feel god's favor his love today
0: wow
1: and that great i mean who's ever said that right I mean, yeah i i just think uh, uh yeah and that message uh, so when when i got that message i fell into depression and and i've seen that since where some people I had uh, one lady she was in her 80s i was doing a conference so a, a marriage conference on this topic and uh she she was a widow but she came and saturday afternoon everybody went for her coffee and cookies and she came up to me and she started crying and shaking she was over 80. a widow and she'd been a widow for 20 years wow. and she said i think I think i'm i think i'm feeling the love of god right now Aww. and she's giggling and, and crying and i said oh dear heart i think you are sit down <laughs> before you have a heart attack but but she was feeling it on the other hand there were people who were angry because and i think you know you, you parse this out is if that's true then i've been wrong for 60 years or i've been missing this for 40 years and 10 years mm-hmm. or and something's wrong with me and and i went into depression other people actually get enraged
0: and you know what because it's been times where i have messed up right and judging from a spirit of religion you know you expect god to really thrash you right and kind of just like a a a child expecting you know um a punishment you know Mm -hmm. we expect that from god and god's like no there's grace you know and and you know there's grace and salvation
1: Oh yeah. Um, okay. Check this. So we, you and I, before we went on, we talked about parenting. Right. So this is one of the this is one of the tips, and uh, then in, in my program, Good Enough Parent, is is for parents, is you you look you you lean into your child and you put your your hand over their left shoulder, not threatening, and you and you and you tap kind of at the heart rate. There's something neurological that opens up windows, and you look at them and you say to them. And and do it randomly is what we're suggesting. And you say, uh, son, daughter, I just want to let you know how how much I adore you. I would buy stock in you. We're going to have our differences, but I'm not going anywhere. I will be there. I will be your best friend. You cannot shake me. And and you do that randomly. It is ridiculous how that opens up communication because teens in particular are looking for uh, there's there's a, a psychologist Yuri Bronfenbrenner that says every child is, is needs one person who is irrationally crazy about him or her, and teens are jonesing for it like like an addict. Yeah. And if that can be their parent, and it has to be regular drip drip drip, uh, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference.
0: Absolutely. So let me ask you this: How did you um, come up out of your depression?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure it was Dr. Houston counseling me. I don't recall. I I don't recall, Uh, but I did. And it just it rattled my world. This whole notion of the gospel was not, uh, like you said, I was was religious. And I wasn't really good at it, you know? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, But, uh, yeah, shortly after that, I started a church up there. And God was pleased (laughs) to bring really beat up people. I mean, it was uh, kind of an urban area and um, unchurched area. We had like 2% evangelicals in the in the area, uh, south of Vancouver. And we had uh, a, a way too many rape victims, mm. way too many. And many of them were in repression and they didn't know until I started preaching about this love of God. And then the Holy Spirit, it's like he woke them up and they just would start screaming and, and bawling in the middle of the service. One lady picked up a chair. I was talking about the love of God from the Song of Songs. She picked up a chair, threw it into the wall and stormed. Well, I will not want to tell you what she said and stormed out of, out of the church because this, this idea of God loving her, she had repressed her anger at God because where was God when I was being raped, mm-hmm. right? And she was told by religious people, you just need to forgive just and then bury it. Don't bring it up again because then you're not forgiving. The brains don't work that way. And she wasn't alone. We had uh, way too many. We had attempted murder victim. We had a a child molester, recovering child molester come to the church. A bunch of rape victims. Uh, We had a witch. We actually had a witch come and curse the church. It was crazy.
0: Wow. Start
1: preaching that gospel. People aren't just going to sit on their butts. It, It moves them some way because it's too good to believe, and I've desperately wanted to believe in that. And I felt it once. If I'm a Christian, I felt it once.
0: Absolutely. And then you know what, like with broken people, a lot of those people, well, I'm not even gonna say a lot of those people, cause it's all of us were broken it's in way, shape, or form. Um, but a lot of people really long for like the, you know, God's love. They don't really know that it's God's love because you know, God creates yeah. us with a void that only he could feel, but you know. right going through life, trying to have this person love you back. And they just end up hurting you, you know? And, and then you mean to tell yeah. me God loves me like, you know, Yeah. let me ask you this. So do you feel like when you preach God's love and you, you, you know, how you mentioned the lady, um, mm-hmm. throwing the chair. Do you feel like those are demons that are manifesting?
1: Yeah, they were. I mean, it, I had to do three exorcisms in that particular church, which really? I was never trained to do. Uh, so demons hate that. They hate that message. They are yeah. dedicated to stop that message. Matter of fact, you can preach all you want. I mean, when Jesus went into the to the synagogue, uh, he's preaching. Probably he's he's probably saying the same thing that uh, he said in in Luke. You know, I uh, uh, the the lame will walk, and this is why I came. The Holy Spirit has anointed me right from Isaiah, and right there, this demon started yelling in the synagogue. Yeah. So I take from that he was fine before. Yeah. Until Jesus started saying, I'm actually coming for the lame. I'm actually coming for the unclean. I'm coming to love the people who aren't loved. Matter of fact, they're not even here right now. I'm going to go for them. And the demon went berserk. Yeah. He went DEFCON 1. I mean, um, so yeah, I think uh, the demonic realm hates this very, very, very simple message. But uh, I don't think it, you know, I don't, I don't look for demons under every rock. I I think uh, uh Psychologically. If you tell somebody who's been through trauma, particularly relational trauma, they've been abused, they've been raped, they've been critically, uh, chronically criticized, and you tell them that that God actually, there's a God out there who actually loves you, their brain's gonna go popping because it's too good to believe and they don't dare believe it because it hurts too much. So the Holy Spirit's gotta do his thing before they can even imagine that. I, yeah. And I get that. I get that.
0: Yeah. Now, let me go back to with you and this d- depression. Like after the three days of you being depressed, when you came out of it, did you immediately like start to draw near God or it took you some time? Oh, it took me time.
1: Oh, this was yeah. this was uh, drip, drip, drip. Um, and uh, but it started bringing stuff together that I didn't see before. And... Um, Yeah, it started tying good theology together, but it was all centered around God's love for the unlovable because that's all we are. Yeah. It wasn't about Uh, before. It was God's love for the righteous, whatever that means. And everybody, right? Give me 10 Christians, they'll give you 10 definitions. But God's love for the unlovable, I can point out a bunch of unloved people. I mean, in the mirror every day is, is, as I wake, I don't wake up feeling loved by God. Honestly, I'm stuck in that. I have to ask God every day. Okay. Make me feel this love today. It would be good now before I go and do something stupid.
0: <laughs> and you know, what? I've never heard that before, but I'm definitely going to add that it's my prayer life. I love that. <laughs> I love that.
1: Good. good.
0: I love that. So Oh, I had another question for you and it just slipped my mind. Um, so, oh, I know what it is. So let's say we have another listener, right? You know how a lot of us, because we're taught this religious thing and we feel like we need to be fixed up before going to God or, you know, I can't go to God while I'm still living this lifestyle. What would you say to a listener in that stance?
1: Yeah. Come all who thirst. So, uh, I had a theologian tell me once, all we need is need. And most of the time we don't have that, um, We don't have righteousness of our own. The Bible, verse after verse after verse, we come as sick needing a healer and Jesus welcomes us. Um, in the Old Testament there's this uh idiom called lipne Elohim it's the face of God so if you come before the face of God so you and I are looking face to face we can see each other's eyes but if we got closer we could and God can do this he can kind of look into your soul so the idea for the Hebrew was is my is God's face shining at me the the the, the deuteronomy blessing mm-hmm. um, and if that's you can see it in people's eyes yeah yeah and the idea is if I get closer to Jesus and even though I'm scared and I Take a peek up. What I will see by faith is him laughing and so pleased to see me in the room and close to him. Yeah. I'm scared, you know, because yeah. I don't want to be rejected. And yeah. I got these dirty little secrets that I hope <laughs> he can't see. It's like Adam and Eve hiding behind a tree. It's absurd, right? Yeah, it's absurd. They know better, but yeah. their brain went, "Whip! We gotta hide." And yeah. and and God just says, "Where are you? Like, come on, come on." And uh, look up into my eyes. He tells Cain that the, the murderer. Yeah. The 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 first question that he has for Cain after he kills his brother is, "Why are you looking at the ground?" Meaning, Cain was not willing or able to look up into the eyes of God. I think what he would have seen was the love of God for Cain, the
0: murderer. Absolutely. That's not how we teach it. Yeah. And you know what? Something just downloaded into me. So like, if he would have looked into the you know, the eyes of God, he would have, that right there would have, you know, the conviction of it, you know, like God wouldn't even have to come, you know, with the hammer, like, you know, he would feel oh, yeah. the, con- the conviction of, you know, disappointing God.
1: Right. And and well, that's the shame we're gonna feel that cause that's how our brains are wired. But if I look up and I don't see God angry at me.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah my brain's gonna go, this isn't what I expected. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, and and that's where I need the power of God to actually start dealing with, like you said, guilt and shame and fear, right? Fear of rejection, fear of being accepted, then rejected. All of those things are real human things, um, but but we can be we can do better. I uh, I I was I was preaching this at Valentine's Day at a church. The love of God, I was at a Valentine's Day. Makes sense, right? (laughs) And the idea was I was trying to encourage people. I was telling them about how the brain falls in love and how God created it that way and the chemicals and how God uses chemicals. It's exciting. And uh, the idea was when you come to communion, uh, I'm gonna raise the expectation that you're gonna actually feel the love of God today. You're gonna experience it. Absolutely. Right? Well, um, it was two services in between five men came to me, total strangers. These are men. Women, I got it, right? I mean, yeah. had a bunch of women say, that was amazing. I experienced the love of God. Five men did. That's revival,
0: right? Yes.
1: And I think for a couple of them, it was conversion. They didn't say it that way, but they said something like, I think I experienced the love of God today at communion. I do oh, brother, that's fantastic. That's really great. Now, uh, that was the first service. Second service, I don't know. I was called back to the church on Monday and th- they read the riot act to me. We talked to some people and they said lots of people, but you know, I've been a pastor for 35 years. Lots of people means three. And I uh, <laughs> said they were hurt by what you said and confused because they came to communion and they didn't experience the of God. And I went, yeah, I, I get that. That's probably what they've been doing every week. Right? And I get it being hurt because you had expectations. And, and I said, but did you talk to those 10 who experienced the love of God? Oh, no, we didn't hear from them. So it was, uh, it, it was really hard to hear, but it fits with the pattern. Um, if we're going to raise the expectation, Jesus, the Sermon of the Mount. Not everybody believed, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, man, they were angry at this stuff very because what he did is is the very first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of god if you un- if you parse that and I actually did a book and, and bible study on this um uh, he's basically said i'm giving the people here jews gentiles sick demon possessed i'm giving them the same uh, covenant that i gave abraham that's what he said they didn't have to go to the temple they didn't have to get circumcised. They didn't have to have a mikvah ritual cleansing bath. They didn't get, have to get baptized. He didn't even say, turn away from your sin. He, you know, he has on other occasion. He doesn't say, follow me. They just did. And and Mark says that they or Matthew. They all followed. Amazing. So the, the religious people, it it was yeah, it was threatening to them uh, that Jesus would give away the house that way. But we should do that every Sunday. We should do that every Saturday. We should do that every morning.
0: Absolutely. So what's, what do you, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned from God? Or what is, what is the most, like what just really sticks out to you?
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm a Johnny, one note. God's love is for the unlovable. And I'm that. Okay. I I don't know how else to say that Uh, I don't want it to become a bumper sticker. I'm still jazzed by it, that God actually loves dirty people. He loves failures. He loves shame. He loves the the unclean. He loves the irrelevant. He loves those that have been overlooked. He loves the widow. He loves the person who has an adultery. He loves the one they have an adultery on. I mean, oh my gosh, imagine if that was rolling out from our pulpits. The st- mm-hmm. strange and wonderful people who would come to church. Churches would be very messy, by the way, <laughs>
0: right? Because <laughs> oh, yeah. everybody,
1: we're all talking about it, and uh, yeah, it's, it'd be amazing. Uh, so, uh, so I told you in, in my in my first church, we had. Uh, uh, in Canada, they have psychiatric prisons. Uh, it's for people who have mental and emotional issues. I think we need that here. By the way, in the yeah. United States, it would, it would help solve some problems. Anyway, so we're sending cassettes. You, you're too young for cassettes, but it was. We put sermons on cassette tapes and we sent them into the prisons, right? Into the psych. Anyway, I got a, a letter from a guy uh, who's in the psych prison for child molesting. He became a Christian listening to the cassettes about God's love and he wanted to be discipled so I went in and I discipled him for a while that was safe but then he got out right he, he did his sentence found a halfway house near our church wow and wanted to come to church our church was built on VBS's children families boy we just crushed that we did that really 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 well well to have a uh, you know a convicted child molester come to that church what and so anyway we we had a church meeting and we worked out ways because you had to have somebody with the guy you know you have to do the due diligence but that's not what bothered people and by the way we invited people if they had to leave they have to leave and that's okay no shame no guilt we did it but here's the thing that bothered people how could god hold that guy the the uh, right convicted child molester in the same arms that he's holding my child that's, that's a head trip, right? But he does, he does. We lost a bunch of people and I get it. I mean, I, 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 parents, they got to do their thing and we didn't judge them and, and that's okay. Uh, but that's, he became kind of the poster child for this love of God for our unlo- unlovable.
0: Yeah. And you know what? God, uh, like it says in the bible god wants you to love him first you know and then secondly love your neighbor just as you love yourself that's right Those you know, are the two big ones we have to forgive others like because just because i haven't made decisions in that way that you know one sin is equal to they're all the same you know in god's eyes so who am i right. to judge you know but we do yeah it's, it's literally by the grace of god that we still every are day. here you know and every god didn't let us die in our sin every day um, yeah, so I know you said you lost a lot of people like that, and you know what? people like we all have free will, you know, oh yeah um, so how did you like how did that make you feel? Did you feel like how did you how did that make you feel? Yeah,
1: that was scary. I mean, you know, we were, it was a church plant, we were trying to grow and these some of them were leaders. And so yeah, we had to have a, kind of come to Jesus moment there. And well, which gospel are we going to present? Or we going to water it down. And we chose not just me, but we the leadership chose, our gospel is going to include this saved child molester. And that's it.
0: And and it was awkward.
1: It was always awkward. Was. He was a reminder. Uh, you know, Jesus around, look at the disciples, they, they, these guys were, you know, uh, yeah. you could change the world with twelve, with eleven. And uh, so, yeah, um, but again, every church has these people, every church, and many of them are kind of hiding in the woodworks in a shame and don't want to share what's going on and they're stuck. Right. There's people in every church, I promise you, that are stuck in porn, who are addicted, who are being abused. I mean, Mm -hmm. one out of four women are being abused. One out of four. Don't tell me your church doesn't. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And, And if we can create this atmosphere where God loves and they come and there's a safe place. Well, I think that's what we should be doing. I think it would be remarkable the changes we would see. I'm telling you, worship would blow the roof off.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? Something that God's bringing back to my remembrance right now, like how you said, um, like a lot of religious churches or religious people say you know when these things happen to us when these traumatizing things happen to us they want to you know want you to just get over stuff and not talk about it anymore and that is that is not how God operates because when I like started drawing into God intentionally and like intimately God literally told me to share my story you know and to help others you know be able to share theirs sounds like my God yeah we free people that way you know
1: yeah Sounds like my God. I'll be telling you another story. This was uh, here. We were we were doing a, a Saturday night church, and uh, it was it. We we lowered the lights, had candles, intimate music, and it was more of a dialogue. I'd walk around. We set up tables, we moved the chairs, we set up tables, and people brought brought their food and actually brought drinks. I mean, every table did their own thing. It was kind of a fun, intimate thing. Anyway, I'm walking around. I'm talking, and here's the question I asked. I said, "What if, if if this all these." Tables over there. What if they were filled with with uh, drug dealers and prostitutes coming off of shift? And and I just mentioned a bunch of people, right? Who and I said, here's my question: Would they be comfortable in our church? Don't tell me we're a friendly church that's not you know there's, there's no verse in the bible that talks about that would they be welcomed would they feel welcomed in our church and of course everybody went oh yeah our church they'd be welcomed here we're welcoming <laughs> and i was just <laughs> going anybody else want to comment on that? everybody was going we're so welcoming well the shadow appeared from the back, I remember it was dark and there was just some lights. And so I saw this huge shadow and this angry guy stood between me and, the, and the, the door. And he said, we certainly, blah, 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 wouldn't feel comfortable here. I don't feel comfortable here. You, I mean, you hypocrites, you blah, 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 blah. I mean, he was angry wow. and I had an elder get up and kind of get in between him and me. We were separated by about 30 feet. And, uh, and I said, Tell me, brother, why would you feel comfortable here? Because th- these people feel like you would. And he went on and on about how hurt, uh, how churches have hurt him, and nobody cares, and God doesn't care, and blah blah blah. And I, he says, I have even got some poems. I said, please read one of your poems. And it was, it was horrible. It was. <laughs> horrible. And I'm just going, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but all right. And uh, he's just spewing and spewing and spewing. Finally, he calms down. I said, well, have you said your piece? And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of talking to this place. I said, all right, well, we're going to do communion because that's what we do every week. And uh, you said you were a Christian, so you're welcome to come to communion. And he goes, I wouldn't do communion at this hypocritical blah, 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 blah church. And that's fine, uh, but you're welcome. Well, here's the beautiful thing and some of these were just old uh, older people some younger people but every one of them before they came down to get take communion we had people come they went and asked him if he would join them
0: Aww. what
1: <laughs> and anyway after the service i had two old ladies uh, really you know old older ladies come to me and one of them said pastor bill that was the best service i didn't Aww. even fall asleep once (laughs) and the other one was going that's the best service let's do that again and it was real you know that's the people i think the guy and by the way we found out later he had brain issues he had he had had real emotional issues uh he was threatening though uh but but he has issues and we honored him in the name of christ
0: yeah and you know what he's probably never had that before you know i'm
1: sure he didn't i'm sure he
0: didn't so let's say we have another listener i'm sorry that has been church hurt because i hear a lot of stories about church hurt
1: people oh my gosh
0: what would you say to that listener
1: yeah i just finished a podcast on something like that um uh the bible new testament um you're the church The Holy Spirit dwells in your inner being. You have the Holy of Holies inside of you. We gather together as the church, but it's not about a building, it's not about an organization, it's about you and God. Um, At a certain point in time, the Trinity, that was dancing eternally and joy and and, uh, uh, identity and, and laughter, they reached down, they grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and they brought you into this heavenly dance and you're in it. So all churches are flawed. All churches, (laughs) you know, you get all these messy people and with all of their sin and broken inner working models and fears and anxieties, you put them in a room. What's it going to be, right? It's going to be a bad Netflix movie. Uh, But you and your relationship with God, that's where life comes from. And your job is to actually be loved by God and to love him. And through that, you'll love other people. That's your job. So, yeah, churches are going to hurt us. Um, So first, make sure you're accessing this height and width and length and depth of love of Jesus for you. And the fruit of that is you're going to actually love unlovable people, including to some degree churches that have hurt you because they're loved by God.
0: Absolutely. Now, you said you've been pastor for how long? 35. And I know like anytime we get ready to Anytime we get ready to, and anytime we're walking in the will of God, you know, and are fulfilling our purpose, we experience an absurd amount of warfare. So I know you have faced plenty of warfare over the years. Has there ever been a time where you were like, God, this is too much. I'm, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. We call it Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Pastors call that Monday. Exactly. Oh yeah. Uh, Uh, often, uh, often. Yeah. Um, So, uh, one of my teachers in seminary, Eugene Peterson, the the, the, uh, message guy, um, he taught us to read the Psalms aloud. And uh, that was our semester. We just read five a night. And anyway, I got stuck on Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 is called the Dark Psalm or Black Psalm. Uh, uh, Some theologians want to take it out because it's nothing good. In, In the end, the last verse is darkness is my closest friend. And the, the whole thing is loaded with ac- accusing God. You're the perpetrator. You've betrayed me. You've left me alone. You didn't You abandon me. You're not listening to me. And by the way, you're not even my friend. Darkness is my friend, <laughs> you know? And yeah. and uh, uh, so that became my soul. So I remember a very, very, oh, my gosh, destructive, from my point of view, uh, church meeting, uh, leadership meeting and and i felt all of those things and it went late into the night and i felt i wasn't heard i felt i was disrespected i felt like uh, i wasn't listened to and and i was right <laughs> you know so i went home and i'm just bruised man I'm, I'm ready to give it up i'm ready to you know i was in business before i'm ready to go back to business so i got my bible it was dark and and i with my little pen light I turned to Psalm 88 and I'm walking through the neighborhood yelling Psalm 88. The neighbors thought I had gone berserk. but I, <laughs> And when I got to darkness is my closest friend, I looked up and went, see, darkness is my closest friend. And I went through that again and again and again until I started laughing and it took an hour. Wow. And here's the, here's the genius of Psalm 88. In the Hebrew, the very first word is God. So, wow. All of the complaining and the moaning and, uh, you know, victimization comes after I've proclaimed God, God, and the rest of the stuff I can say, because I'm a child of God and he lets me, he lets me vent Absolutely. and, and uh, the Holy spirit in me was just laughing. I'm thinking that's, that's my, that's how I see it. Just waiting for me to get it. Absolutely. And, uh, so, so that's, uh, yeah. That wasn't the only thing.
0: <laughs> and, and you know what i was just thinking like when you said that they want to take it out because it's like you know this person writing from an angry point of view like yeah. you know being angry with god but, but like that's the authenticity of you know how we sometimes feel or how some of us feel you oh, know sometimes over half the psalms
1: pray. yeah are, are the psalms angry at god yeah but, oh you can't do that in churches today <clears throat> We don't know how to complain and we should. And and there's people who are hurting. They should (laughs) complain, they should cry out, oh boy. I I had another prof who said, sometimes when you're singing hymns and and stuff in churches, he says he just has to leave because they just, he called it hippy dippy, said, I'm coming angry. I wanna sing something angry. Give me the blues, man. Give me (laughs) me grunge, give me heavy metal. Give me something that, that allows me to speak my anger. Mm-hmm. And I don't know many churches to do that.
0: And you know what? Like growing up, so I was raised in church too. And we were always taught like not to question God, you know, and oh, that's another, that's another, oh, half thing the that, Psalms. Yeah, that's another thing that's like, God's like, no, you, I want you to ask me questions. I want you to, you know, as long as you're like, really yeah. want to know. And you know,
1: yeah, I did a, uh, a long study. I'm going to write a book on Job. And, um, I think we've messed up Job. When Job repents, Job's repentance, it's really not repentance. It's not the word for repent. Basically what he says at the end, after God appears to him, he basically says, i am it's all a court. It's all a trial. It's all about a trial. He basically says, I'm withdrawing my charge against you, God. I'm tabling it. I'm not getting rid of it because you still have not answered by real questions. Yeah. But I'm tabling it for now. Yeah. That's what he did. He didn't, repent of getting it wrong. He's angry still. He lost a yeah. family. Of course he's angry. Mm-hmm. But we've wa- oh, boy, we've watered Job down to where he's just so now go and repent like Job. I don't have that muscle group. Yeah. You know? My brain doesn't do that when I'm angry. And when I've been hurt, when I've been betrayed or somebody's been chronically come on. It gets back into forgiveness. My brain and I, i've I've learned this through neuroscience. My brain is designed to not forgive. It's designed that way. So when people who have been deeply hurt try to forgive, their brain is going to fight against them one hundred percent of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I tell people and i've I've said this in prisons, I've said this to groups. Uh, the first way first step of forgiving is to admit you can't do it. Stop
0: trying. Yeah, absolutely. And really to reflect on like, you know, cause like when forgiveness was one of the first steps that God had me take. When I first started mm. being intimate with him, I'm like, Lord, I need healing, right? And the first because thing- Because you had God been abused me, or hurt
1: or whatever?
0: Yeah. First thing that God told me was to forgive. And not just like, you know, oh, I'm gonna wash my hands with this person. Like, no, actually forgive, you know? and it was a few situations where i had to it took me a few days you know and like with this process that god had me go through he had me go and apologize to the people that i was holding grudges to you know wow look at you yeah. <laughs> but it brought me so much healing you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it brought me so much healing it, it yeah man, it really it brought healing that i had lacked for years for like all my life you know yeah Um, What would
1: you say to that person who's trying, they're Christian, they've been deeply, deeply hurt, chronically hurt, uh, for whatever, a thousand ways, but they say, I can't, I've tried, and I feel so ashamed in this church, I'm leaving, because for whatever reason, I can't do what what Jesus said in Matthew 18, I've tried.
0: Um, I would say to that person, really go to God on everything that you feel. Um, The hurt, the pain, the anger. Um, Yeah, He's not this vicious God where, you know, you can't discuss all those feelings with him. Like, no, talk to him about it and pray for direction um, and instruction on how to get over that. Um, And really, all we have to do is allow God to step in and he'll provide us with the steps to take, if any. Because sometimes God is like, just be still and I got it, you know. That's true.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm not good at that either.
0: <laughs> I know, you get kind of antsy.
1: <laughs> well, here's what I've here's what I've learned biblically is that um, God never forgives apart from justice. Mm-hmm. The cross, right? He didn't forgive a single one of my sins until the cross. Yep. So God's forgiveness is totally a function of completed, experienced justice. Um, since the, since the early 80s, the late 70s, we Christians have framed forgiveness different. We tell people to give up their rights of justice. That's not biblical. Uh, so we, had, uh, we spent 60, 50 years now telling victims to be more magnanimous than God. So what what we do, and this is what we do in the Forgiving Path, is we actually give victims a a trial before God. Experiential, it's all online. Uh, But in the two and a half hours that you go through the Forgiving Path, we actually give them a trial before God where they can state uh, the accusations to God, how they feel to God. We teach them how to do it. We let them do it. And then Jesus appears basically and says, I got this, Mm -hmm. I've got this. Amazing results. We've had uh, over a thousand people who've been through it. uh, We've had over 70, almost 80% of the people say they've experienced justice for the crime. Ridiculous. And so 21% reduction in revenge, 38 something like that percent increase in empathy for the perpetrator or the institution, church damage, right? The church, a lot of people came through uh, with complaints against their church. Uh, it was ridiculous, the the results we've had. Uh, but the big deal was we gave him a trial before God. That's been the missing step.
0: And you know what? Like the more that you begin to forgive and drawing in and closer with God, like God does, just doesn't let stuff go, right? Like we all, you know, there's consequences for the things that we do. You know, true. we might not see consequences today or tomorrow, but that's true. Um, you know, that just makes it easier to forgive people because it's like, God, I'm going to let you do your thing on this, you know, because God, He, he you know, He doesn't like when people oh, Yeah, reconciliation
1: is a whole different ballgame. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. That's harder. Absolutely.
0: That takes two people. Absolutely. You can't do it by
1: yourself. You can't reconcile by yourself. You, you got to have everybody involved. That's harder
0: absolutely and you know what the closer that you draw to god like you literally as you're drawing closer to god you literally can't be worried about you know the, the stuff of this life like what's going on around you um and you'll he'll start to soften your heart like you said towards the offender or the person you know that did whatever to you um yep. it just it happens naturally yep. um so let's say we have a person that's listening that feels like they just you know are carrying this load that they can't forgive or something has happened that's unforgivable Uh, unforgivable like what's? would you explain the importance of forgiving and what would you say to that person
1: yeah so so i would say stop trying to forgive and first get justice so that's why we could we did this forgiving path the forgivingpath.com go through it two and a half hours it's all online you get a before and after survey so you can see what the results for but the problem is your brain needs justice your brain actually and studies have shown this, your brain you're created to actually need an apology, to need somebody repenting, needing consolation and payback. And the only person who can really give it to you because you're you're a child of God what was done to you, what was taken from you is worth far more than you know. And so the only person that's gonna ever make you whole is God in heaven, but we can taste, we can have a foretaste of that now through the Holy Spirit and it will make a huge, huge, huge difference. So don't listen to people who say, just choose to forgive. There are people who pull that off, but they're rare. Um, uh, I've done, I've seen a lot of studies. I've done a lot of research. A lot of people who have really intensely chosen to forgive in five years, it comes back because that's the way our brain works. Our mm-hmm. hippocampus stores the memory with the pain and when it's triggered again, it's back. Um, so what we do is we've created this thing that does no shaming, nowhere in the forgiving path do we ever tell people that I need to forgive. We're just giving them justice. And in the end, I've had person after person say what, wait, wait I, I think I've forgiven the person. Is that what you guys do here? Yeah,
0: that's
1: <laughs> what we do. But we never say forgive because that would shame them, which would trigger and mm-hmm. they would get, the, get their brain popping. Um, so yeah, only God forgives. The Holy Spirit in you can forgive and you can access that by faith. But it's going to take a trial because God will not, will never forgive until there's actually been payment for the crime. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is that payment, right?
0: absolutely and you know what too i think that some people are afraid to forgive because they feel like if they forgive this person they kind of they kind of get away with what they've done oh Oh, yeah you're enabling
1: them or they're gonna hurt you again (laughs) or they're gonna hurt somebody else they're right yeah your forgiveness does nothing to the person the Holy Spirit. So, oh, this is great. I just did a, uh, I'm, I'm doing a Christmas podcast about this. But when Solomon was, uh, you know, the, the temple was completed and he's blessing the temple and he's praying to God. Here's what he says. He basically says, may your temple be a place where trials take place. This is in first Kings. And so when, when, when the perpetrator, the plaintiff, the defendant of the plaintiff come before you, God intervene. And righteous the righteous and wicked the wicked and make everybody see it. So the, the temple was actually supposed to be a place where those kind of things happened before God, where where uh, the liars were exposed, where the truth came out, and the people who were hurt got healed. The temple, the church. Yeah. We're supposed to be that place. We've we've so lost the, the, the you know the skills to do that. But that was Solomon's prayer to God is don't let if if people come before you with these trials, somebody stole some goats or somebody whatever killed this person or whatever. When they come before you, God intervene and righteous the righteous and wicked the wicked. I love that.
0: (laughs) All right. So a couple more questions. So if people want to access this, um, like the things that you offer, where would they find it at?
1: Yeah, my website is gospel-app.com, gospel-app.com. And all of that stuff is, and more, is on there. The uh, parenting is on there, the forgiving path. We have a, a similar thing for shame, people who don't feel like God loves them or they've messed up. It's called The Dance. Um, so that's on there too, plus a lot of free resources. It's, its, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot there.
0: Are, are people um, able to purchase your books on there?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, and and the Bible studies and and such, uh, yeah.
0: Okay, and one of the next. best things. If you have a second,
1: can I read you this card? This is absolutely. This is what I give to people, uh, and people can buy; them. they're really cheap. We we kept the price very low, but I call it the simple, uncluttered gospel. And what I'm doing is I'm preaching the gospel to my midbrain, my critical inner voice, right? And here it is. And what I what we say is say it twice a day for 45 days. It's ridiculous ridiculous how effective this is. Here we go. Jesus follower, and I'm talking to my midbrain, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart as much as the father loves the son and the son loves the father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you messed it up, right? The shame or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. So how do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask, ask again later today, ask tomorrow, make it a spiritual habit. Twice a day for 45 days, it's ridiculous how uh, you you begin to uh, feel loved, you begin to love others a little bit this isn't heaven right so a little yeah. bit more you'll you'll dance a little bit more you'll worship a little louder you'll your prayers will become transformed because you're asking for more good stuff oh that's
0: so great i appreciate your time today
1: Uh ah, it's been a pleasure this has been great you are good <laughs> at this thank you oh
0: thank you there's nothing but god um okay yeah i appreciate this you're welcome back anytime
1: <laughs> I've got a book coming out in January. Let's, let's let's do that. It's about overlooked and underappreciated women in the Old Testament called Dance Daughters of the Most High. It is a lot of fun stories about some amazing women that we just have forgotten, which is, which is really too bad.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to read that. I can't wait. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Let the Healing Begin podcast. A um, couple things, if you'd like to support, please go over to www.greatergrowthllc.com to, uh, support the t-shirt and hoodie store there. And also please like and follow us on all social media platforms. And also you can check out the link tree t- uh, tagged um, to see what other services that we offer. And you can head over to Amazon and purchase a copy of Back in My Day by Asia Wilson. Thank you. And until next time.